20, 25 years later on, I'm getting a statement from a chief education officer in Barbados. The kids have enough Caribbean history. From the History Watch Project, this is the History Watch podcast series, bringing you up close and personal with history in the real world, with some help from people who know what they're talking about. I am Audra Dipti, and on today's episode of the History Watch podcast series, we welcome Sir Woodrow Marshall, a Caribbean historian who is Professor Emeritus at the University of the West Indies. Among his many contributions to Caribbean history, he was one of the founding members of the Association of Caribbean Historians. I met with Sir Woodville Marshall to discuss the ways in which the Association of Caribbean Historians, also known as the ACH, has worked to transcend the linguistic and imperial fragmentation of the Caribbean. We also discussed the politics of historical production in Caribbean contexts. Finally, I'll remind listeners that the History Watch podcast series is now available on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to subscribe if you want updates on our newly released podcasts. Join me in conversation with Sir Woodville Marshall in this episode of the History Watch podcast series, Transcending Imperial Fragmentation, the Association of Caribbean Historians. The ACH itself started as an organization in 1974. But what we had been meeting as a conference of historians since 1969. The best way then to explain it is to give the beginnings of the conference, because it is the conference which eventually spawned the association. Okay. It is not the other way around, which would okay. you expect that the association would then start a conference. No. Jack Adelaide, out of, he was in Guadeloupe at that time, but he's really from Martinique at this, what is now the, the University mm-hmm. of the Antilles and Guyane, he had the idea that he would want to sort of cement, or more than cement, establish some form of collaboration with the historians in the Anglo-speaking Caribbean. Okay, because he was a French-Caribbean. Yeah, he's French-Caribbean, yes. He sent a note, I believe, to Roy O.J. Mm-hmm. at Mona. He was proposing to have a little, what he called a colloquium or colloquium, in, in Guadeloupe, and he would like some people to come from the Department of History. So, O.J. put together eventually a little group, myself, a man called Neville Hall, and another man called Carl Campbell. Those two were teaching at St. Augustine at the time. Mm-hmm. I was teaching at Mona. And the three of us were sent off to Guadeloupe to attend this little colloquium. Not a lot of people were there, more, no, no more than about eight or ten papers. I had written down those those facts about the beginnings in the first newsletter of the Association of Caribbean Historians. So that can be checked, you know, for full accuracy. The important thing, though, is that Douglas Hall, who was then the head of the Department of History at Mona, he said to me, before we left to go to Waterloo, he likes what the man is talking about. And what I should do when I got down there is to have a little discussion with Adelaide about how the collaboration between the two sets of historians might work. So he was so he's thinking more long term now. He 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 understood that Adelaide was interested in collaboration, finding out more about what was going on 
what was being written, the research interests of people on the Anglo side. He wanted to know these things, and he wanted that to be buttressed by, you know, copies of articles, books, and things that these people might have produced. So he, well, I mean, that is how it turned out. Eh? So what Douglas asked me to do is to just get some specifics from Adelaide about these things. And yes, what, um, what Adelaide said, that he would like, you know, materials, could we send him some stuff? And the Douglas Hall, of course, followed through, collected our, um, copies of articles from most of books and things, and he sent these things down to Guadalupe, to Adelaide. Douglas went further. He said to the, his department at Mona, well, Adelaide has done this thing and it looks like a good idea to have the historian meeting. Why don't we, meaning the UWI historians, why don't we reciprocate? He said to me, why, why don't you get involved in helping to organize a little conference in Barbados? This is going to, that was going to be the reciprocal gesture. And the other person who was going to be involved in the organization was Keith Hunt. Keith Hunt was then teaching at Cathal Barbados. He was the sort of lead historian. There wasn't a department yet. Basically, the two of us, me from Mona, Keith Hunt in Barbados, we organized a small conference. We called it a conference in 1970. And again, not very much, no more than 10 or 12 papers. But what is important about that, it went beyond the historians in the French Caribbean University and the University of West Indies. The University of Guyana was represented there by Robert Moore. There was a friend of mine who was then teaching at Dalhousie, who was a Caribbean historian of a lady called Mary Turner. I invited her to come down, so she was there. It is just possible that Tom Matthews from Puerto Rico might have been there. The point I'm getting at is out of that very small beginnings in, in Guadalupe, it was already broadening when we got to Barbados in 1970. The other thing that is important about the meeting in 1970, it is Douglas at that meeting who said, this is, not, this is a very good idea, and we should make whatever effort we can to continue it on an annual basis. Let's have an annual conference. Bobby Moore, who had come from the University of Ghana, was very interested, and he immediately volunteered his institution as the host for the one in 1971. So that therefore, a decision was taken in 1970 that we will try and make these meetings, an, an annual meetings, annual conferences, Secondly, we are more or less saying that we were looking at Caribbean, mainly Caribbean-based historians of the Caribbean, but we were going to extend it to anybody else who was interested. And that thirdly, it would be tied in a sense to institutions inside the Caribbean. That I want to emphasize that is obvious to you and is obvious to me, but I want to get it on the record. This is something particular about the Caribbean, and that is unlike, say, American scholars or whatnot, which is this diversity in language, mm -hmm. a shared historical experience and mm -hmm. diversity in language. So that is why it takes such a deliberate effort and a concerted effort to, to get the French historians in the same room with the Spanish historians or the British historians, so that while they could share. Otherwise, you have the independent historiography yeah. developing. Quite right. No, no, I think that's, a, that's an important part to notice. This is why the initiative is an important one. I suppose that we say in the British Caribbean side, we studied and read something called Caribbean history, and we were aware of the major developments in the French Caribbean and the Spanish Caribbean. Of course, we didn't have really very detailed knowledge because we depended on texts 
in England. Right from the beginning, therefore, that was a point which we had to appreciate. That basically what we were doing is to, to go across these linguistic as well as imperial boundaries. It was deliberate, I mean, presumably, why Adelaide must give me a lot of credit because he was the first person breaking through there. And of course, Douglas, of course, understood. Certainly by the time we went to Guyana in 1971, the Spanish Caribbean was, was in it as well. Now, that, of course, that, of course, posed a problem, posed a problem of language, which meant, therefore, that in all of our meetings, we had to make some arrangements to ensure that the conversation would go across the boundary in the beginning. But what we would do is to ensure that if an individual, usually an Anglo, wasn't proficient in French or Spanish, that he sat beside someone, or she sat beside someone, who was proficient in French or Spanish, and consequently there was translation all, all the way through. But despite that obvious barrier, we managed to communicate and managed to stay together. You're, you're right. We recognize it as a factor dividing us. That should not let it separate us. In other words, so, because I mean, as we talked, we realized obviously that we were talking more or less about common experiences, but if in fact it was not common, since we were in the same geographical area, it was very necessary that we had enough information so that we could make comparative statements. Exactly. Okay. okay. So that becomes, in a sense, then the rationale, the main rationale for the existence of the association and the conference. Now, I think as a result of meeting together annually, some people really felt, some people started to feel we should formalize the arrangement, not just leave it just for people in some institutions to get together from time to time. So we get to Jamaica in 72, this was the second, this was the next conference. And again, and I think that that is when you really heard statements coming from some of the participants about formalization. The next meeting, which is Trinidad in 1973, they were going to formalize themselves and they set up committees to so draft constitutions and work out objectives and things like that. I was then identified in the sense as the continuity because I had gone to all the meetings and therefore I could take, a, take something of a lead road. So in a way, where we met in Puerto Rico, this is the first time we were going to the Spanish-speaking territory, 1974. When we met in Puerto Rico, therefore, we were ready to launch. So without too much difficulty, we adopted the constitution and decided to elect officers. I won, in, won the election and I was then president for the next three years. I think the important point here, of course, is the annual conference by then had become relatively known among the Serbs of the Caribbean, residents of the Caribbean. But it was also becoming known to some extent among historians of the Caribbean outside. But I would say that in 74, we were still, to a large extent, uh, a group of people who were resident in the region. a question. The historiography of the Caribbean up until maybe, I don't know, maybe the last 15-20 years has been in the hands of Caribbean, by and large, a general statement, Caribbean nationals, people from the Caribbean of the Caribbean, I believe, you might want to correct me, unlike some other fields. African history, for example, is written largely by people not from Africa, at least the published work that gets the attention. So there's a certain ownership 
mm-hmm. of Caribbean historiography that Caribbean citizens or people of Caribbean ancestry have been able to capitalize on. The question, I guess, is about construction of narratives, the, rec- yes, the, the okay. recognition. Caribbean historians were invested in making sure they, they had a voice in the production of their own histories. Mm-hmm. I'm not Did sure. that a conversation that ever happened? Let's go back to the base of your question. I would say that when you look at the historiography of the Caribbean, that until the University of the West Indies historians came on the scene in a full way, that historiography was dominated by non-Caribbean-based people. Okay, but if in fact you look, say, yeah, from the from the fifties onwards, at least when you look on the British Caribbean side, the resident Caribbean historian share of the production has obviously been growing, and I mean, and that is obviously tied to the fact that you have practicing historians, you know, mm-hmm. people are teaching history and mm-hmm. they expect them back to produce scholarship that they're going to continue to keep their job. So yeah, <laughs> so, 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 so yeah, but I would think at the same time, there has been continued non-resident um, production. I have been doing some work, I've done some work for some years now on historiography, mm-hmm. but just off the top of my head at the moment, I would say strand of resident Caribbean production that, that has been widening over the last mm, 40, 50 years. At the same time, the other strand is still there and still mm-hmm. quite strong. I don't think, therefore, that it was ownership that we were getting at. I think that what we were getting at more, that we were recognized that we, and I'm talking now from the perspective of people resident, that we are operating in the Caribbean. We were divided, divided by these, these language barriers. And at the same time, we, we, each of us, we would have known that our own experiences could in fact be replicated across the boundary. It, is, it was important, therefore, to be able to start to see those things a little bit clearly. Okay? And I'm saying that that for us, I think, was more important than anything else. To, to try and jump those boundaries and understand the extent to which you can start to talk about a Caribbean historical reality. And again, I might be, you might have to correct me, but Sutin was speaking, Sutin Wilmot, and I was speaking sometime Mm -hmm. during the conference, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about the relative youth of Caribbean history relative to some of these older British history and whatnot. And when you put the relative youth of Caribbean Mm -hmm. history alongside Mm -hmm. the relative Mm -hmm. youth of Caribbean nations, Mm -hmm. so you have the independence movement in the 60s and that kind of thing. To what degree does history become very important to people in the region? Like, so we know that the historians played an important role in West Indian Federation and that kind of thing. Like, the history is political and is part of the reality. Your perspective is Anglo, you see? Remember that. For sure. Okay. Now, now, I agree with you. That on the one hand, Caribbean history as an identifiable discipline, particularly for schools, is relatively young. Meaning, we only started to teach Caribbean history in schools in the probably late 50s, but really, you could sure say, from the 1960s. And I'm agreeing with you that the thing is young, and it has a lot to do with the colonial status. People like me, going to school, in the, going to school at whatever level, primary school or secondary school, in the, in the 40s and, and into the 50s, I learned no, no Caribbean, in my case, or no Barbadian history, you know, the history that you were taught was English, not even European, it was English, English history. I got exposed to Caribbean history for the first time would have been in 1956, 
I'm saying now, West Indian history, therefore, for people in the, in the Anglo section of the Caribbean, was now available at the university level from she was started to teach that in 1950 or 51. But it wasn't yet available to the schools. Primary and secondary schools. Primary and secondary schools. That was the effort of people like a woman called Shirley Gordon, Ryoji and Company, particularly Shirley Gordon, who was English, and she was in the Department of Education at Mona. It is there in a group, and they brought, they brought along with them some history teachers in the schools, including John Hammond, who was the headmaster of Harrison College and a history teacher himself. It is that group in the late 50s which discussed exhaustively what a West Indian history syllabus might be. And it is a result, therefore, of their deliberations and their recommendation that West Indian history then became a subject in the schools. Was now, this seen as an effort to decolonize the Caribbean mind? Like, how did they articulate it? They want to put it in those terms, but that is really what they were about. I mean, and remember too, that is all in the context of the Federation. You're creating the West Indian nation, and the nation had to have its history. They had its history clearly established. Put it in that context, yes, and you can see that it was obvious what they were doing and wanted, wanted to establish. The point I'm getting at then, the generation going to secondary school and to some extent the primary school in the 1960s, these are the first people being exposed to this, you know, in a deliberate way. I tell that story at length because and this is the irony, if not the contradiction. 20, 20, 25 years later on, I'm getting a statement from a chief education officer in Barbados. And the statement was, the kids have enough Caribbean. In other words, and that was to justify the decision of the Ministry of Education not to support or not to support too strongly a proposal out of the Department of History in Cable. We were going to do an MA by coursework, which we were directing at the teachers of the upper levels of the secondary school to strengthen their knowledge and their approaches and all of that. But we felt that that could only work properly if the ministry and the department came on board. And that was her response. So in other words, she said that this was not priority because we don't have to better equip our teachers to teach this thing. By this stage, this thing called social studies was coming in. And social studies was taking over from history, particularly Caribbean history, at the lower levels of the secondary schools. So here it is then. We invented Caribbean history 
just 25 years before, and now we're saying we already had enough of it. Well, so we being the politicians and the non-historians, the historians <laughs> yeah. know that, right? Well, the historians know that, but unfortunately, I'll have to say that some historians were part of that process of substituting, I mean, CXC and all of that. We had historians there. I don't, what, what were they saying? Even although historians might have been important in getting Caribbean history into the school, some of them might not have recognized the extent to which it had to be taken another step. If, in fact, we are still young, fragile as a nation. It's imperative. There can be no end in sight for the teaching, for exposure mm. of children and young adults to Caribbean history. It has to be an ongoing process. Of course. So you can never be saying, saying anything foolish like that. The kids have had enough. Oh, you can never have been. But is it because they, don't rec they didn't recognize the role that historians played in creating no, Caribbean nations? They don't recognize the, the, the role that history and knowledge of history plays in terms of sort of grounding people properly. In other words, history has a very important sort of so, so, social role to play. And creating citizens, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, and you can see it very easily if, in fact, you're going to examine the curriculum of English schools or American schools. It's automatic mm -hmm. that you will be teaching English history and you will teach American history at every level. Mm -hmm. Automatic. That's even if it's highly problematic narratives. Precisely. Even if it is. One of the things that is important, and this is one of the things that the ACA should have been addressing a long time ago, and we should make ourselves fully conscious of the position of the discipline in all the fragments of the region. How much, how much Caribbean history is taught in the French-speaking or Spanish-speaking territory? How, how is Caribbean history looked at? Go even deeper and try to examine closely the syllabus that is offered. Now, I thought, and we say, that a justification for the association of Caribbean history is in fact to make sure that the boundaries don't really matter, mm -hmm. that we can start to make generalizations mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the historical experience. Well, you can't say that unless, in fact, you're going to find out mm -hmm. really what is happening mm -hmm. in the various fragments. And this is not what we have done. I mean, I really feel that one of the roles for the association is to keep that under review and, of course, and to become advocates where, in fact, it can be shown that what should be done is not being done. Are you talking about at the primary and secondary yes, school level? Yes, at, at all levels. At all levels. Yeah. At all levels yeah. In the same way that the ACH had a commitment to pan-Caribbean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. conversations, mm -hmm. was there an attempt at pan-Caribbean syllabi, the development of pan-Caribbean syllabi? Difficult to answer that. Well, rather, it, well, difficult and easy at the same time. <laughs> it's easy in the sense that there was no attempt to engage no ministry or department of education in our part ever engage the people in the other party. But if you look at the history books that have been produced in our fragment of the Caribbean, you will see what I mean. That yes, the Spanish Caribbean gets in there when you want to talk about the Americans coming into the region. And when you have obviously revolution in Cuba. How does that tell you about what happened in Cuba or the Dominican Republic over the stretch of time? On the other hand, you might be able to see a fairly sustained narrative about what was happening in Jamaica or Guyana through over the span. Okay. You see what I mean? So there's a privileging of yes. certain... Yes, and I suspect it's true on the other side too. Mm -hmm. I mean, but we don't know. It, that's one of the rules for ACH. Mm -hmm. Once in fact we say that we want to, as you said, pan-Caribbean, yeah, find out what is going on and, and become agents uh, for change. <laughs> Thank you.
That brings us to the end of this episode of the History Watch podcast series, Transcending Imperial Fragmentation, the Association of Caribbean Historians, in which I was in conversation with Sir Woodville Marshall of the University of the West Indies. For more on Sir Woodville Marshall's work, be sure to look at the podcast notes. The History Watch podcast series is coordinated by Dr. Audra Dipti. To learn more about the History Watch Project, visit us at historywatchproject.com. You can also find links to our other projects on our website. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye. Goodbye.